Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. Hey everyone, welcome to Mountain Park Church. My name is Andrew and I am the lead pastor here. We are so privileged and honored to spend this time with you. I hope everything's going well in your living room right now or in your car or wherever you're watching or listening to this. Grab a coffee, grab your Bible, do whatever you need to do. We're gonna settle in today and talk about spiritual gifts. So if I had a title for this, which I don't really have an actual title, but I would say uh, gifted for greatness is actually the heart of God for your life and my life. He's not called us to mediocre. He's not called us to secondary or less than. He's not created us for uh, half a purpose or, you know, he's actually gifted you and he's gifted me to do great things for him. So we're gonna talk about what the spiritual gifts are today. We're focusing in on uh, Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, but uh, I'm gonna pray and then we'll get started. So Father, we just, uh, we wanna tell you we love you today. We submit ourselves to you, we honor you today, and we humble ourselves under your word. Uh, We give it a a place, the place of authority in our life. We bring ourselves underneath it and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to teach us today. I invite you to bring your conviction and your counsel and all of the fullness of Christ into our lives today. Uh, Father, we just ask that you would transform us through your word today in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's open our Bibles and open them to the book of Ephesians chapter four. We're in the New Testament here. And we are uh, in this chapter where Paul has made a, a big turn in the book of Ephesians. And we've talked about that in the past. I'm not gonna cover sort of what Paul was talking about in Ephesians one, two, and three, but Paul has made a shift. And that shift for us is in now, how do we live out the purposes of God for our life? How do we live out our faith? And he starts in chapter four by saying, uh, you know, we are to live a life worthy of the calling of God. So I want you to remember that because that's key in this text. Paul is talking about divine calling in this text. And he's talking to us about the things that are necessary for us to walk out the divine calling or the life mission of God. He talks to us about the character that we need for that. He talks to us about the unity with God and with others that we need for that. We, the truth is that if we're not walking in the light with God, then we'll never be able to walk in the light with others. And if we're not walking in the light with him, then we're not gonna be able to actually walk out the fullness of his calling in our life. And so as we read these gifts, I, I want you to remember having them back of your mind the reality that these, I think, are attached to calling. And I'm gonna say some other things about these gifts that may be new or different. And uh, my purpose here is not to draw 
hard lines uh, with things, but actually just to, to process through with you what I think Paul might be saying to the, uh, the people around him in Ephesus at this time. Remember, it's really important for us to remember that Paul says each one has been given a gift and Paul is writing to a group of Christians in Ephesus. At that time, the New Testament wasn't even formed. It wouldn't actually even be compiled together as the New Testament we know until AD 300. Uh, so we're a few hundred years before they have a chance to read through the whole New Testament. So they're hearing this from Paul, and this very well could be the only context that they're hearing about spiritual gifting from him. So we need to actually remember that. We need to try and do our best to be faithful with the context of the text and realize they don't have the rest of the New Testament sitting in front of them to check the other lists of gifts. And I think that there is something to that that we need to remember that we often don't think about or consider. And again, I'm not drawing these hard lines here, but I actually think there's something that we need to process and consider with relation to that. So Ephesians 4, and we're gonna start in verse 11. And he himself, so Paul is talking about Christ here, all right? So he himself gave some to be apostles. So hold on. Just as a reminder from last week, these gifts that we're about to talk to, number one, they're not our gifts. Paul is not talking about what you and I are naturally skilled or adept at doing. He's not talking about uh, the things we like to do or the way we like to spend our time. He's not talking about hobbies and things like that. He's actually talking about gifts, number one, that aren't ours. They come from Christ through the Holy Spirit to us. Number two, by their very nature and definition, these are spiritual, they're not natural. So we talked about this last week, that these gifts are spiritual in their, uh, in their makeup. They come from God, from the spiritual realm. And the point of these is that God wants to take uh, from the spiritual realm, gifting and join it to the natural realm, to our lives so that we can actually walk out the kingdom purpose and calling of God for us. Way back in Ephesians 1, Paul said that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Part of that are these gifts that we're about to talk about. So they're not from us. They're not human. They're not natural. They're from Christ, from the spiritual realm. And the idea is that they interface with our lives and we begin to walk with them uh, in supernatural empowerment to actually accomplish his divine purpose. That's why he's gifted us for greatness and not just for mediocrity or not just to get by or not just to do the lowest common denominator thing. So Paul says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. So many people would call these um, 
God's five grace gifts, or some people say, and rightly so, that these are gifts of administration or offices in the church. Paul is talking to Christians here in a church context. The other thing we need to remember about these gifts is these are gifts given to Christians, not non-Christians, all right? That's really important to remember that when you give your life to Jesus, it's not just a transactional thing that gets you, uh, you know, out of hell and into heaven. When you give your life to Jesus, he releases supernatural gifting into your life that by its very purpose and nature is meant to transform your life, is meant to turn you from going one direction to the next and give you a purpose and assignment from God. And so these five gifts, um, some believe, and rightly so, again, that these are gifts of office. And uh, I don't want to dispute that. There's certainly truth to that. But these, in my estimation, are not just official designations of a, a class of people inside the church. What I believe and want to submit to you is that these are not just gifts of office, but gifts of leadership, and mission, all right? So these are capacities of leadership with a specific assignment that we are all given at least one. Again, these gifts are not ours externally. This is not an audit of what you think you're good at, which is often our default. We talk about spiritual gifts and we say, hey, where's the spiritual gifts test? I wanna take it because I wanna find out what I'm good at and what I like to do, and that's okay, but the reason why I'm not big, big, big on spiritual gift tests is by nature, these gifts are spiritual. They're not natural. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a story from 1 Samuel 16. If you wanna turn there with me, you can. Verses six to 13, this is what is happening. Uh, God has asked the prophet Samuel to go anoint the next king, okay? So uh, Israel asked for a king. God said, that's a bad idea. They said, we want a king anyway. And so he says, okay, here's Saul. Saul is installed as king and he blows it. And God actually removes uh, the kingship from Saul and is gonna, about to give it to another. And he tells Samuel, hey, look, uh, go to the house of Jesse. Go to Jesse's house because I want to anoint one of his sons. And this is what happens. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, and that's one of, um, one of Jesse's sons. So that's one of David's brothers. Samuel saw Eliab and said, certainly the Lord's anointing is on this one before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, and get this, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Don't look at his gifting. Don't look at what he possesses for strengths or you know, external things. I've rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Here's a big challenge I wanna leave with you before we head into the specifics of these gifts. This is something that I wanna leave with you. I actually believe that the very purpose of these gifts is not to just uh, sort of echo or mirror what you're good at, 
but actually these gifts are meant to turn your life upside down and set you in a totally different direction. That's what I believe the function and purpose specifically of these five leadership capacity gifts are. Jesus called Abinadab and presented him to Samuel. The Lord hasn't chosen this one either, Samuel said. Then Jesse, this is the father, presented Shammah. But Samuel said, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. So he's going through all the brothers. After Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Samuel asked him, are all these the sons you have? There is still the youngest, he answered, but right now he's tending the sheep. He's not even here. He's, don't worry about him. He's, he's not fit to rule as a king anyway. Like, he, he's got a different life trajectory than this. So don't even bother bringing him into the equation is essentially what Jesse is saying. Samuel told Jesse, send for him. We won't sit down to eat until he gets here. So Jesse sent for him. He had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome appearance. Then the Lord said, anoint him, for he's the one. So the one that everybody was writing off. He doesn't have the natural capacity. He doesn't have the strength or stature of the other brothers. He doesn't have the birth order correctly. Uh, you know, he doesn't qualify. And yet God says, don't look by external appearances. Don't judge right now, even as you're reading these gifts. Don't judge based on what you think to be true about yourself. Don't judge based on what you're passionate about, uh, what capacities and skills you have, what education you have. Don't judge based on that because God knows the heart. And sometimes I believe what God wants to speak into our lives about these gifts is that he has a radical calling on our life that may have little to nothing to do with what you feel your strengths or direction in life actually are. So the gifts are spiritual. They come from God, they're spiritual in nature, and we cannot miscalculate things by assuming our natural skills and tendencies and desires and all of that would disqualify us from possessing any one of these gifts. All right, so we go on, and I wanna just explain uh, what is, uh, just a really brief summary of what these gifts actually are. Often we expect Jesus to work in what we're already doing in life. It's like, hey, I'm already on this trajectory. So Jesus, when I give my life to you, you're just going to accent or you're going to infuse the direction I'm already on with your, uh, with your spirit, with your gifting. And I wanna to submit to you that I actually don't think that that's the healthiest way for us to process it. Jesus doesn't just wanna bless what you're already doing. He actually wants to change your life radically. And maybe you are not experiencing the fullness of life with Christ. Maybe you're not experiencing even understanding what gifts you have because you're not even considering the fact that um, because they are so backwards from where you're going and how you're living, you don't even consider that God might wanna use one or more of them in your life to radically reshape your whole direction in life. And that's what Jesus does all through scripture, is he takes the direction we're going in and he grabs us by the shoulders and turns us around and says, now you're going that way. 
That's what he did with all of the disciples. That's what he did with the Apostle Paul in his life. It's what he did with um, all of the characters in the Old Testament. They were walking one way. They met Jesus and he gently grabbed them by the shoulders and said, now you're going this way. And some of us have written off these gifts because they don't line up with where we think we should be going in life. All right, so that first gift, the apostle, apostolos, literally what that word means is a messenger, a sent one, an ambassador, or someone with a message to convey on behalf of someone else. They were people in Paul's day in first century um, the ancient Near East in the first century, um, they were people that were sent to announce uh, a new kingdom territory. So when a, when, a, when a king would conquer new land and new territory, he would send literally an apostolos, an, an apostle, over to this new territory to announce the rule of the king in that territory and to establish the kingdom of the king in that territory. So apostolic leaders, okay, are people whom God has appointed to send and bring his kingdom message to new territory. So I just want to clarify something here, especially with apostle and prophet. There's a, a couple of different ways that we can look at these, but we're talking about an apostolic leadership gifting which I would say uh, would have a small A in front of it. We're not talking about the capital A apostles who were um, in the first century and wrote uh, the canon of the New Testament and, and personally walked with Jesus. We're not talking about those people. We're talking about an apostolic gifting that actually still remains in the church for people to be sent ones. These are people, people with an apostolic gifting are builders, they're visionary leaders. They're people that can go into a, a new space and, and dream up of all of the ways that they can build the kingdom of God there. They're, they're people that are entrepreneurial and they're risk takers. That's the, that basic apostolic gifting. The secondary function of that is they're people that are fathering and parenting people. So one of the things we'll see, even from Paul's life, Paul was an apostle and he had an apostolic gifting. But Paul was a father, by his own admonition, was a father to Timothy. Paul didn't just create stuff and then walk away and move on to the next thing. He built things for the kingdom, but he also fathered and mentored those who were underneath him coming up in the faith. And that is an important secondary component of apostolic leaders, are leaders with a gifting and a capacity from God to actually parent and father and mentor those underneath them. So they're the risk-taking, adventure-seeking, they're the Lewis and Clark sort of of the kingdom of God, the people who are forging into new land and new territory, the people who see the city and the region as a blank canvas for the kingdom of God, and they see structures and they see uh, all kinds of these things. They're pioneers with vision. They're ambassadors for Jesus. Uh, they're like the John Wesleys of the world. You know what's interesting about John Wesley, who founded the Wesleyan movement? John Wesley 
was he had an apostolic gifting. Do you know what John Wesley did? He wrote so many of the hymns that are found in our hymnals. He actually uh, would take the music, all right, the music that was played in the local taverns and pubs, he would take that music and write new lyrics to it that exalted God. He would take the familiar tunes of the local tap house, the local tavern and pub, the stuff that everybody knew, that everybody was familiar with, and he'd put uh, God-glorifying lyrics to it, and that's what they would sing at church. And so he created this connection with culture that nobody had done before. That's kind of apostolic leadership, is the ability to, to, to create new ground and, and to form and create new things and connecting modern present-day culture with the scriptures, with Jesus. That's just one reason or, or, or one person um, in John Wesley. Our culture here as a church is to be unconventional. And uh, God has called us clearly as a church to not just do what every other church does or the way that every other church does it. You know, we deeply, every time we talk about doing something as a church, we don't just do it because that's what we've always done. We do it with that apostolic heart to say, God, we're willing to do something no one's ever done before, to go to a place we've never been to before, to build something that no one's ever seen before because we wanna bring your kingdom into new territory. We wanna establish your rule and your reign in new places. That's what happens with people that we're connected with like Safari in Malawi. Safari has an apostolic gift. He's building the church of Malawi. He's raising up thousands of leaders and tens of thousands of church people in hundreds of churches across Malawi. That's what he's doing. That's what Derek and Renee are doing with their rugged tree ministry up in Northern Ontario to First Nations people. They're, they're forging new, uh, new territories and pathways into relationship with First Nations communities. They're exercising those gifts. That's uh, an apostolic gift was present in Stephen in Acts 6 when Stephen was called and appointed to establish a care for the widows, the, the distribution of food and financial aid and the administration of what needed to happen. But Stephen, because he carried an apostolic gift, he was able to build. He built something from the ground up that didn't even exist. The, the whole structure and apparatus of how they cared for the widow and the orphan and the poor. And while he was doing that, Stephen was healing people operating in the supernatural gifts of God. And so we see in a guy like Stephen, the combination of many things. That's that apostolic gift. The second one is prophet. And I, I just have a note here, and, and we're gonna talk a little bit about this, but that prophet is, is one who provokes the heart, who actually carries um, a word from God to actually speak into and provoke the heart of other people. There are two sort of primary definitions of the prophetic, and one can be found in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. And actually, Paul changes the category in 1 Corinthians 14. Paul actually takes it upon himself to change the category 
uh, and the, the sort of the structure of what the prophetic looks like in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says that a prophet and somebody who operates in the prophetic is to do it for the upbuilding, encouraging, and comfort of the church. The prophetic gift is to build up, stir up, and cheer up. Paul expands the paradigm of the Old Testament, which is still in play, but actually adds this additional definition to it. And what Paul is saying is that the, the purpose of the prophetic gift is to take timely messages from the, primarily from the Word of God. So I, I just want to establish that first, that the, probably the, the, the lion's share of the exercise of the prophetic is taking the Word of God and hearing from God specifically on what it is from His Word, who it is and when it is to be released or encouraged or exhorted into their life. That prophetic gift is the ability and the necessity to hear from God, to recognize in scripture what is it God is wanting to communicate and to discern the timing of that. And Paul says that when we do that, it's for the building up and the exhortation and the encouragement of the church. So there's two functions in this prophetic. There are people, um, it's, it's part of that gifting is to have a fresh and timely word from the word. And I would say that's the, you know, uh, uh, the, the largest share of that, the most practical everyday ongoing application of the prophetic is to be able to hear from God and sense, hey, um, this verse or this passage, I'm gonna speak this into this person's life, remind them of it, bring their attention to it, and I have a sense of the timing of when God wants to do that and how he wants me to do that. So a fresh and timely revelation from the word of God. That's kind of like saying, I don't know what's gonna happen in the future. I'm not predicting the future here. I'm not telling you, you know, what you're gonna eat for supper tomorrow night or what's gonna happen to your budgie your bird next weekend, I'm not sure why I thought of that, but um, it's not predicting the future. It's actually, I have a timely word in season for you right now. It's taking the Bible and making it alive in people's life. Uh, people that have a prophetic gifting have a deep desire for repentance. They have a deep yearning for repentance, a deep yearning for holiness and purity and a deep desire to speak into the sin of the culture and of the community and of the region. There are people with a deep, deep desire to bring scripture to bear on our lives collectively together with specific timing and purposes. Uh, Paul uses other gifts, uh, passages in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 where he talks about the prophetic as a gifting. But in addition to that, Paul also says that there's room in the New Testament context for a foretelling and revealing prophetic gifting, a revealing of things not known. So we see this in the life of Agabus. Agabus was a prophet. He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't a disciple. He was a prophet. And you can read about him in Acts 11, um, and um, Acts 21.10 and 11, Agabus approached Paul and said, here's what's going to happen in Jerusalem. 
Uh, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to wind up in prison. And Agabus actually demonstrates Paul being chained. Agabus was working in the prophetic, which was a revealing of something that was yet to come or that wasn't even known. Stephen wasn't an apostle uh, or was an apostle, but he also operated in other supernatural gifting. Philip the evangelist also operated in these areas of gifting. Philip's four daughters were called prophetesses. All right, Acts 21, verse 9. The use of the prophetic in church. So Paul is talking about how to use prophetic in the church, and he actually says that one of the functions of the prophetic in the church is to reveal the secrets of the heart. 1 Corinthians 14, 24 and 25. So the prophetic, again, by its very definition and nature, is supernatural. It requires insight from God to us. It requires a supernatural download, whether it's to give a timely word from the Bible to somebody, or whether God is wanting to reveal something that's not already known. All right? We can study this kind of stuff in uh, Paul's address to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. Jesus is still speaking today. And he's called some people into this leadership capacity in the prophetic who need to hear his voice. He's releasing things to them so that they can build up and exhort and encourage the church. Anyone, I've learned this in my life, anyone can prophesy doom and gloom. Anyone can point out your, your faults, your sin, your failure, and all of that stuff. Anybody can do it. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to go and begin criticizing people and pointing out to them every area of their life where they're insufficient or inadequate or struggling or in desperate need of help. But it actually takes somebody who's hearing from God to speak life into those situations. That speaking of life can come with confrontation and truth and all of those things, but that truth is meant to build up and not just to criticize or vent or tear down. So we have to be really careful how we exercise the use of the prophetic in church life today, but make no mistake about it, this gift is operational, it has not ended. Neither has the apostolic gift or any of the gifts of the New Testament. None of them have ended. And we believe that so strongly as a church, that there are not partial giftings that are done away with or gone or died. There's no strong, there's, there's really no exegetical basis for that in scripture at all. We believe in the full functioning supernatural gifting of God for the church because we need it. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 14 that the spirit is subject to the prophet. What does that mean? That's so, so important, it's so key. The spirit is subject to the prophet. What that means is that you're always in control. We can never say that we are out of control, that we can't control the manifestations of God over our life, that we can't control what's happening to us, or that we can't control what we say to other people. Paul says the spirit is subject to the prophet in 1 Corinthians 14, which means you can't just blurt out something to someone and say, well, it's just what God told me. I have no control over that. Yes, you do. You have control. You have a will. God never violates that. 
We're never in a spot where, uh, you know, we are given permission from God to say something and claim that it's a message from God, even though we know it hurts, even though we know that it tears down and breaks down and causes pain and division. We're never given permission to just place the blame on God for that and say, I'm just, I'm just the messenger, don't shoot the messenger. Paul is expressly saying, uh-uh, that doesn't fly here. If you're not going to speak life and encouragement, if you're not building up, if you're not strengthening and exhorting, then you better take a double, triple, and quadruple check because you're out of alignment with the purpose of the prophetic as Paul sees it in the New Testament. Paul recognizes, and again, we can see this in the Corinthian church, that prophecy can be problematic. <laughs> we can run into all kinds of problems in the expression of this in the church. But he expressly exhorts those, especially in the Thessalonian church, that in spite of the danger of false prophecy, in spite of the potential of misuse, that we are not to disregard or minimize the activity of the prophetic in our church. He warns the Thessalonians not to set aside the gift because they're worried about it being abused. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 23. And Paul is basically saying, as we look at the Corinthian church, as we look at the, the first century church, it's a mess. It's a disaster. And Paul is saying, look, it is. And we're going to bring correction to things. And we got to realize we're a, a body and a family working together, working in unity together. But we need the gift more than we need just everything done right and perfectly. We need to allow people to grow into their ability to discern and hear the voice of God. We need to allow them to test it in an environment of grace. We need to encourage people and exhort them to be willing to hear correction, to, to ex walk in humility with this kind of stuff. Humility is essential for the prophetic gift because we never should walk up to somebody and say, thus saith the Lord to you. The, the most practical and beneficial and life-saving words you can say if you feel like you have a prophetic word for somebody is, I think that maybe. <laughs> and we allow the Spirit of God and the other person and the parties involved to test what we believe the Word of God is. We should never assume that we are 100% accurate in our ability to hear the voice of God. And yet Paul says, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You still need it in your life. We need it desperately in the life of the church. We need people with that prophetic gifting. And I want to just say as well with this gifting uh, and the apostolic gifting, that prophetic words or encouragement always points to Jesus. If you or I ever become the center of our prophetic activity, we're way off track. If we are not always directing and pointing people to Jesus, we're off track. The prophet, the person using and exercising the prophetic gift is not the center of attention. 
The proper use of the prophetic should not bring additional accolades or additional, you know, reward to the prophet, additional recognition to him. The proper use of the prophetic always places Jesus at the center of attention. We see that in the lives of those found in the Bible. So we need discernment, we need accountability. No one hears God in a vacuum, okay? Uh, Nobody does. And God has told us actually to test the spirits and to test prophecy. We need each other. We need to have the freedom and flexibility to say, hey, I'm, I'm thinking that, I, and I think God may be saying this to me, and I wanna actually release this to you because I wanna test it and challenge it. We don't need people walking around and saying, well, God told me to tell you this, and God told me to tell you this, and God said to do this, and God said you're this, and we don't need that. That's not the proper exercise of the prophetic, and we have no room for that in our church, but we have all the time in the room in the world for people who wanna walk in humility and feel like God is stirring or provoking something in them that they wanna bring to bear in the life of the church for its exhortion and encouragement and life building. And if you're willing to to do that and for it to be tested and challenged, and if you're willing to receive correction or refinement, then we're willing to actually walk with you in that. Paul goes on to talk about uh, the gifts of the evangelist. These are people that are, uh, are gifted to connect people to Jesus. These are the people, again, this is, a, this is not just people that are great used car salesmen <laughs> or great salespeople or great people people. This is a spiritual gift. And part of the gift of evangelism is that discernment to see people and understand the timing and the voice of God and move into a situation where the gospel can be presented. So it's again a combination of things that are rooted in the supernatural realm. It's people that are anointed by God to see and recognize godly appointed and divine opportunities for the good news of Jesus Christ to be expressed. So it's not just getting a bullhorn and going to the corner. It's actually flowing, and this is so necessary. I don't know why we forget this. It's flowing in the life of the Spirit and responding to his leadership and his calling and his voice. Jesus said, I do nothing that the Father doesn't tell me to do or that I don't see him doing. We can't operate in these giftings out of our own strength or capacity or design. By their very nature, these are gifts from God. And the gift of the evangelist is not just a gift of assertive communication or somebody wanting to just pound the truth into someone. It's the gift of someone to seize and understand divine appointments. I had this the other day. I don't know that I'm gifted as an evangelist. I would never say that I am in my natural skill. But I'm filling the tire up in one of my cars the other day and I look across at... Tim Hortons, and there's this gentleman standing there, and he's just standing by the door, not, not with anyone, and he's staring at me. We make eye contact. And I, I turn away, and I'm filling the tank, and then I look at him again, filling my tire, and we make eye contact again, and I just sense the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to go over there and ask him if he needs anything. And like I do, I had this dialogue and argument with God, and 
I looked over at him again, and we made eye contact again, and I was hoping that the feeling would go away or that that impression from God would go away, but it didn't, so I finished. And then I got in my car, and I just wanted to drive off home, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, no, drive into the parking lot, go and ask him if he needs anything. And so I did, and I asked him, and he just, he wanted a coffee. I, I would have given him, you know, I would have bought him 10 meals if he wanted them. Um, but we had an opportunity to chat, and I had an opportunity to tell him that he's valued and loved by God. And I, let me tell you, I, that is not me. <laughs> I am not an extrovert person. I'm not the guy going up to random strangers and just saying, hey, do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? But I am a guy who wants to listen to and respond in obedience to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And when I did that, I had this unusual peace where most of the time I would be a nervous wreck and would not even be able to get intelligent words out. I had this unusual peace to look into his eyes, tell them that he mattered and that God loved him. That's how God wants to utilize you in evangelism, he doesn't want you to just take a class on it or just assume that you're gifted with sales or connecting with people or that you're super bold and courageous and you don't mind offending people. No, the gift of the evangelist is actually tied to the ability to hear and recognize the voice of God. And we see this in Philip's life. He's the only one actually called an evangelist in the New Testament with that word. But Philip operates in the supernatural gifting of God when he evangelized to um, the, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. It was God saying, hey, Philip, go down this road that goes south. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll do that. He starts doing it. And then as he's going down the road, he sees this horse-drawn carriage and whatever, and God says, go up to the carriage. Uh, okay. I'll do that. Still no plan, no specificity there. But when he gets there, it becomes clear the opportunity that he has. And so evangelists are people gifted to, to actually hear and discern the calling uh, of, and voice of God and be able to respond, even with vague, like, hey, just go over there. Well, I don't know why, Lord. Well, he's not asking you to know why. He's just asking you to go over there. But so often we miss the opportunity to present the gospel of Christ in a spiritually sensitive environment because we're not willing to just go down the road that leads south. We want more detail. We want to make sure all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. That's the gift of an evangelist. And pastors, the one who love people, these are shepherds. Pastors are people, they're supposed to be people that are all about people connected to the heart, men and women with a great deal of care, concern, and godly leadership. Teaching is an integral part of this ministry. These are people who mentor, invest, and guide through life experiences. Again, Clinton E. Arnold says, the usage of the term in this context suggests that the role involves a great deal of care, concern, and godly leadership. It also points to a connection with the office of an elder or overseer, like Paul's. Teaching sound doctrine is an integral part of this ministry so that the flock can discern and avoid dangerous teaching that comes with it. The next gift is a teacher. That gift is not just the ability to communicate concise 
sentences. It's actually a teacher, think of it this way, as a systematizer. The a person with the ability to compile information and knowledge and understanding and present it in a way that actually is intelligible and understandable. It's a person who has uh, you know, the ability to move deeper beyond the surface and communicate truths to people. Teaching in Jesus's time was different. Again, Jesus didn't live in the 21st century where you could go into a class, a business class in university and be taught by somebody who'd never run a business in their life. Teaching was actually a coming alongside someone and not just espousing truth to them, but living with them and living the truth with them. This is a person who is a great teacher. Anointed teaching isn't a gifting or a charisma that people have. Uh, anointed teaching, let me give you my definition of this, which I actually heard from someone else, but I think it's true. An anointed teacher is someone who has lived into what they're teaching. An anointed teacher is someone who's lived into the truth that they're teaching and can teach from a place of experience, not just theory. That's where anointing teaching comes from. And Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 12, there's other gifts, messages of wisdom through the Spirit, messages of knowledge and faith, of gifts of healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, gifts of different kinds of tongues. And man, I wish we could spend all kinds of time on that, but we believe in and affirm the gifts of speaking in tongues and tongues as a prayer language and the differentiation between the two and the exercise of them in the corporate space and in the private life of a believer. We believe and affirm all of that. The gifts of interpreting tongues and the gifts of miracles and helping and leading and healing and all of these kinds of things. The gifts of service, a gift of giving. And how I wanna leave this with you is that um, there's no proper way to classify these, but I believe that these five that Paul outlines in the book of Ephesians here are leadership capacity gifts, and we all have a measure of these. We don't all have the same measure, but we all have a measure of these leadership calling-related gifts. And I want to submit to you that I think your life's calling actually is attached to one of these gifts, and you may not even have ever considered that in your life. It doesn't mean you work in a church and pastor in a church. The office of these does not, uh, it, it, these don't necessitate an, a, a title for you to work under. But these are leadership gifts and I wanna submit to you that the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and the gifts in Romans 12 are tools that the Holy Spirit gives us to be able to function in our calling and in our gifting. I wanna leave you with just this thought. In 100 AD, so not long after, maybe 40 years after Paul writes to the Ephesians, in 100 AD, there were an estimated 25,000 Christians. In the year 310 AD, just take a moment, just take a guess in your head. How many do you think there were? How many believers do you think there were? 25,000 in 100. 200 years later, how many do you think they were? There were an estimated 20 million. <laughs> Why? We, we haven't seen explosive growth like that in the last thousand years. 
But why in 210 years can they go from 25,000 to 220 million? Why? It's because the church was functioning the way it needed to in unity, anointed by the Holy Spirit, functioning in the gifts of the Spirit. People laid down their lives and picked up the calling of God for their life. People who were going one direction responded to the call of God to deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow him. They responded to the calling of Jesus, which says, if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll save it. If you actually believe that I want to infuse you with supernatural gifting and power, I will take the direction you're going and I will turn you around. And when you all do that together, the supernatural power of God is manifested and people come to know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The kingdom of God is established and founded. That's how you go from 25,000 to 20 million. But we've reduced these gifts to a function of our capacity and our skill and our gifting. We've said, I'm not a prophet, I'm not an apostle, I'm not an evangelist or teacher or pastor. That's for the paid people in the church and that is not the heart of the kingdom of God or the gospel. If you don't believe that God actually wants to radically turn your life around, to maybe even give you a new vocation a new, a whole new direction in life. He's the same God that turned that shepherd boy, David, into a king. He's the same God that turned a runaway murderer like Moses into an anointed leader who delivered a whole nation out of oppression and bondage. He's the same God who calls fishermen, sons of thunders, John and James. He calls dreamers, and people with great dreams to be great leaders like Joseph. He's the one who takes the oppressed and the exiled like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and changes the course of nations through them. He's the one who exalts the humble and oppresses the proud. He turned a religious terrorist like Paul into the greatest missionary the earth had ever seen. And he took a loudmouth fisherman like Peter and made him the rock on which he would build his church, one of the greatest preachers and evangelists the world has ever seen. If you don't think he wants to take your life and turn it upside down and throw you into a new direction, filled and gifted by him, then you haven't been reading the gospel. So my question to you is, are you willing even now just to stop and heed the call of God on your life. He's not looking to just augment where you've been going and, you know, puff it up and make it better. He's looking to radically reshape your entire destiny, to call you to places that you'd never think you had the gifting or skill or passion to go to, to call you to the hardest things of your life. And his word says, Paul says in his word says that he not only calls us, but that he provides the spiritual gifting and capacity we need to step into his kingdom life. We all need to do it together. The church needs a revival and renewal of the spiritual life and gifts necessary. It is the most terrifying thing I think that we could consider, but it's the very thing that God is calling 
us to. I played rugby when I was in high school, the second row. And one of the things we had to do was called a ruck over. <laughs> and when one of our teammates carrying the ball would go down onto the turf, that teammate would position his body with his stomach facing his team and put the ball right in there to protect it. And our job, our job as those running behind him was to find our nearest teammate, link up arms, shoulder to shoulder, get down as low as we could and run into the opposing line of offense from the other team. Our job was to overpower them through the brute strength of each other. We couldn't do it one by one by one. We had to link arms together and we had to push off the defending team from over that ball so that we could retain possession. And that's the same picture of the life of the church that we are called by Paul and by the gospels to link arms together, to take the gifts of God together, to, to, to run at breakneck speed and demolish the gates of hell as we do it to push back the work of the enemy, his destruction in our families and in our communities and in our streets and in our cities and in our churches. The question is, are you willing to link arms with me and with the church? Maybe even run in a new direction, but run toward the calling and gifting that God has given you. Are you willing today to respond to the call of God in your life? Let's pray. Father, I've done all that I can. I've said all that I know. Everything I believe that you've put on my heart today, I've said it all and I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would take what is true from you and that you would infuse it into our hearts and in our lives, that you would take what is not true or not from you and that you would just destroy it. But Father, I'm asking that you would rekindle in every person's heart under the sound of my voice, everyone watching or listening, that you, Holy Spirit, would place in them a new fire for your calling and your purpose in your kingdom, that you would give them a new hope that they've been gifted, they've been appointed, they've been destined and chosen and called to walk in a new way, to follow you into new kingdom impact, to establish your rule and your reign in their lives and in their families and on the earth and in our city and in our churches. Holy Spirit, we are desperately dependent on you and the gifts that you bring to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.